2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to look at the first six verses. Let's go ahead and read those together. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Every year I go down to that conference, and, and this is the third year, as I said, I come back with a lot more than, than I ever gave, that's for sure. And, and part of that is uh, the guys that I go down with, you know, hearing them uh, teach, you know, and I always learn a lot. Uh, and, and we tell the guys that, you know, we're teaching these Mexican pastors, say, you know what, as we're sitting here uh, listening to each other teach, we're learning ourselves. You know, we're, we're hearing from the Lord ourselves. And God really has been doing in my life probably over the last year, but certainly during this last week, uh, been doing just a real change in the way that I approach ministry and in the way that I approach teaching the Bible. Uh, you guys probably haven't noticed. I mean, we obviously have always taught through the Word, but the Lord really probably about a year ago or so just said, Ryan, it's not about you. It's not about your intelligence. It's not about your wit. It's not about your stories. It's not about anything. It's about touching people with Jesus Christ. That's what you need to do. And up until now, a lot of the stuff that you're doing that you think is so effective is not effective. And you need to make some changes. And the Lord just really began to just hammer me with some of the things that I thought were so effective. Um, you know, and you guys, like I said, probably really didn't notice, but they were changes in my own heart. They were changes where, you know, instead of making statements that might just fly right over the top of people's heads, God showed me, you need to start uh, sharing from your heart. You need to start not just making these great platitudes, these great statements that, you know, ought to be put down in a book somewhere. You know, they, they were great for a book. Great statements for a book, but not great statements to hit you right here and to say, man, this, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is real life stuff. And I began to make some changes in, in the way that I prepared my messages, in the way that um, I looked at things. And over the last week, God has really shown me the importance of, as a pastor, me being real me being honest, me being personable, relatable. I could go on for an hour um, about those things. 
and and really showed me that what people need when you guys come here on a Sunday morning, a Wednesday night, whatever it is, that you need to be touched by Jesus. During the worship, it's not about sounding good. It's not about, uh, you know, the songs necessarily that we sing. It's about Jesus Christ showing up here and ministering to people. That's the key. And you know what? As a pastor, I've failed in that area. <clears throat> because my focus has been, by and large, how things look, how things sound, how we come across. And not that I haven't want, wanted people to be touched by Jesus, because I certainly have. But I've been so concentrated, so focused on the details that I've lost sight of the true purpose of ministry. And, he, and, and that's been something that God's been doing with my teaching for the last year to year and a half. But God's been showing me that needs to be all-inclusive of the whole ministry, of everything that you're doing. From worship to youth to Quest Outdoors ministry to Sunfest to children's ministry to everything we're doing. It's about Jesus and it's about Him showing up and touching lives. And so, uh, that's something that God's really been doing in my heart. I wanted to just talk kind of briefly about that because it really fits into our passage this morning. As Paul here is really talking about real ministry. I don't title my messages, but if I was going to title this message, it would be called Real Ministry. Because one of the themes of Paul's writings, and certainly the theme of the book of 2 Corinthians, is that every believer is a minister. You've probably heard me say that a thousand times if you've heard me say it once. That every believer is a minister. I'm not the only minister here. We're all ministers. We're all called to be used by God, to be His servants. And sometimes I think as believers we wonder, man, why do I feel so dry? Why do I feel so empty? Why do I feel so stale? I, I see, you know, maybe Stuart or I see Ryan or I see Brent or I see other people in the church and man, they seem excited about the Lord and I don't have that. I don't sense that in my heart. I mean, I love the Lord. I know I'm going to heaven. I believe the Bible, I believe everything, but I just feel empty. I don't feel that passion. And I think this barrenness comes as a result of losing sight of this fact that you are called to be a minister, that you are called to be used by God. In Israel, there's, of course, two large bodies of water. There's one that's called the Sea of Galilee. There's another that's called the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is a great illustration of this. Because the Dead Sea has the Jordan River flowing into it from the north. But it has no outlet. And as a result of years and years of all of these sediments and all of these minerals and all of these um, things that are pouring in to this body of water with no outlet, the sea has become dead. It's become so saturated 
with minerals that it's actually lethal if you drink enough of it. Nothing can live in the Dead Sea. There's no fish. There's no marine life whatsoever because it has all intake and no outlet. It's a great illustration of our lives that if we have all intake, if we come here on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, other things, other Bible studies, and we're just taking in and taking in, there's nothing wrong with that. You've got to have intake. The Sea of Galilee has an intake, but it also has an outlet, and it's very fresh and alive. The Dead Sea has intake, which, that's not wrong. You've got to have that. Every body of water has water coming into it. You have to. Otherwise, it'll dry up. But the Dead Sea has nowhere for it to go. And so if you're taking in and taking in, but you have no outlet, no ministry that you're involved with, you will become dead inside. You will become barren. You'll become dry. You'll become stale. And if you sense that in your own heart, that dryness, that barrenness, that's probably a good indication that you've got in flow, that you've got intake, but no outlet. And here in our text this morning, Paul is going to address this theme of ministry. The chapter begins with, therefore, since we have this ministry. What ministry? Well, it's the ministry that Paul's been talking about since the beginning of the letter. But more specifically, if you look back up in chapter 3, verse 7, he says, but if the ministry of death, speaking of the old covenant, but then verse 8, he says, how will the ministry of the Spirit? And so he was contrasting the ministry of death, which was the law. It led to death. It led to bondage. But the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of life, came through Christ. The veil had been removed. You remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago there at the end of chapter 3. How Moses had veiled his face, but now we come before God with no veil. We can enter into His presence. Access to God has been granted. Freedom from the penalties and bondages of sin has been made available. And now God, you guys, has asked us to take this message. He's given you this ministry. The ministry of the Spirit. To take this message to your neighbors, to your co-workers, to your family, to your friends, and around the world. That's the ministry that Paul is referring to. He says... Since we have been given this ministry. And I want us to notice three things about real ministry this morning. Three things in our text that relate to real ministry. First of all, in verses 1 and 2, we're going to talk about what is real ministry. What is real ministry? In verses 3 and 4, we're going to see the battle against real ministry. And then in verses 5 and 6, we're going to talk about how we move forward in real ministry. So first of all, what is real ministry? Verses 1 and 2. Five truths, if you're a note taker, five truths about real ministry 
And then I want us to see the result of real ministry. First of all, Paul says, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. And so the first thing that I want us to talk about, about real ministry, is that we do not lose heart. Literally, that phrase means we are not cowards. We're not cowards. If you read about the ministry of Paul, you can say amen to that. Paul was not a coward. Paul was a a man of strength. He was a man of courage. He was a man of great power. We're not cowards. We don't lose heart. You guys, it takes courage to minister to people. I want to say this, and I want you to understand it in the context of what we're talking about this morning in real ministry, but I want to say this. It doesn't take courage to serve. It takes courage to minister to people. Because this morning I want to talk about the distinction between service and real ministry. Because I talk about service a lot. And you know what? We need servants. We need people to set up chairs, to hand out bulletins, to make coffee, to minister to the children, to run booths at the harvest party, to make food at Sunfest, to tear down sound equipment at different outreaches we do. We need servants. But you guys, it doesn't take courage to do that. It takes commitment and it takes discipline. Absolutely. And it takes a heart for the Lord. But it doesn't take courage. But here's where courage comes in. It takes courage to minister to people. And that's where I think, as a pastor, I have failed to communicate that. I have failed to communicate the need to minister to people. That it's not just about serving. That it's not just about being in the Sunday school class. Get the kids in. Do your thing. Get them out. And let's get out of here. Or let's just worship. Let's just sing a few songs. Let's talk about the Bible, and then let's go and do what we wanted to do in the first place. You guys, that is not real ministry. Real ministry is not standing around talking about the weather. Real ministry is getting to the nitty-gritty of people's hearts. And when people have questions, you take them to the Bible, and you pray for them, and you minister to them, and you take time for them. When you see somebody that needs to be discipled, you take time, and you meet with them. And you pour out your heart to them. And you become vulnerable to them. And you express your weaknesses and your shortcomings. You see, that's where courage comes in. That's where the faint of heart don't last in ministry. Because it's tough. Because people will hurt you. People will stab you in the back. People will use the things that you said to them as you were opening your heart to them. They'll use those against you. And it takes courage. But it's what we're called to do. Because there's nothing better on this earth than touching people with Jesus Christ. There's nothing better than that. Serving the Lord, you guys, is awesome. But man, my heart for you guys is when you're setting up a chair, you're saying, Jesus, whoever sits in this chair, bless them. Touch them. As you're handing out a bulletin, you're praying for those people. You're ministering to those people. As you're teaching a Sunday school class, you want Jesus to touch those kids with His love. You want the parents to be ministered to. You see the difference? It's not just about service. It's about ministry. Real ministry. Right where people are at. 
please don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say anything to bring a guilt trip. These are things that God is doing in my heart and in my life. And so the first thing that we see here is that we cannot be cowards. If we want to do real ministry, we cannot lose heart. The second thing that Paul says is that we have renounced the hidden things of shame. Verse 2. Now, Paul is probably talking about false teachers here. As this whole book is sort of related to these men that had come and attacked Paul and had brought false accusations and character assassinations against him. But you know what? One thing I think we do as a people, as Christians, when it comes to the Bible, is we love to pass off stuff on other people. Oh, well, that's about the false teachers. That's about the Pharisees. That's about the disciples. That's about the world. That's about carnal Christians. But you know what? I don't want to do that this morning. I don't want to just pass it off on false teachers. I think there's a very important lesson for us in this phrase that we have renounced the hidden things of shame. Very important lesson for us if we personally desire to be involved in real ministry. Here it is. We've got to do away with hidden sin. It's got to be rooted out of our life. It's got to be stripped from us if we want to be used by God. Because hidden sin, you guys, I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is. Hidden sin will hamper your ability to minister to people. And I have a very close friend who is a perfect illustration of this right now. And what he is doing is really not even that bad. I don't even know if I would call it sinful. But it's so obvious to every one of us who is doing ministry with him. This person is not in this church. You don't know him from Adam. But it's so obvious. Even what he's doing is not that big of a deal. But it's the fact that he's deceiving people. That he's lying about it. That is scary. And that, you guys, will lead from what he's doing now to other things if he doesn't get that right. If he doesn't stop it. Guys, the Bible says, confess your sins one to another. That's what Paul is talking about when he says we need to renounce the hidden things of shame. Hidden sin in our life. If there's things going on in your life that are hidden, that you don't want to talk about, you need to find somebody. You need to confess that. And you need to have it rooted out of your life if you want to be involved in touching people for Jesus Christ. Well, the second or third thing, excuse me, that Paul talks about, he says that we are not walking in craftiness. Not walking in craftiness, verse 2. You guys, real ministry is not about slick tricks. It's not about fancy programs. The gospel does not need to be cool. The gospel does not need to be trendy. The gospel does not need to be relevant. The gospel is powerful. Paul said that he preached to them 
nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, Paul says this about the gospel. In Romans 1.16, you don't need to turn there, but listen to what he says about the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul said. I don't need to make it into some slick demonstration. I don't need to make it into some kind of a program. I don't need to make it seeker-friendly. I don't need to make it trendy or cool or relevant. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, what it is by itself, period. Now, hey, I'm not saying that we shouldn't use programs. There's some great programs out there. In fact, we've been praying about getting involved in evangelism explosion. I'm not saying that programs are bad. I'm saying we don't need programs. That the gospel doesn't need slick tricks. It doesn't need craftiness. It doesn't need my ingenuity. It doesn't need your ingenuity. Which really frees us up. Because we don't need to be crafty to minister to people. Some of us aren't real crafty. We're not real good with words. We're, we're not real witty. We're, we're not real, uh, you know, maybe our minds aren't able to, you know, comprehend a lot of things or, or to remember a lot of things. And so we forget. Maybe we don't have a lot of, um, you know, apologetics knowledge. And so when people ask us questions about, you know, creation or evolution, we, we don't know what to say. We don't know what to answer. That doesn't matter. It's not about all that. It's about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The gospel does not need slick tricks or fancy programs. We can just be simple and uncomplicated to minister in a very real way. And so that's the third thing about real ministry is it's not walking in craftiness. Well, number four, the fourth characteristic of real ministry is found in verse 2 as well. He says, not handling the Word of God deceitfully. Our ministry effectiveness, you guys, will be directly related to the diligence with which we handle the Word of God. Paul told Timothy in his second letter to him, he said, study to show yourself approved. A workman who needs not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Study to show yourself approved, he was telling Timothy. In other words, know the Bible. Know it not only here, but know it here in your heart. Not handling the word of God deceitfully. Guys, there is no real ministry apart from the word of God. None. Zero. Apart from the Word of God. This means it should be a major part of how we minister to people. That's why when you come here on a Sunday, on a Wednesday, we're going to open the Word of God. We're going to teach it. We're going to share from it. That's a consistent characteristic of one of our services is that it will involve the Word of God. And you guys, when you're sharing with people, when you're ministering to people, 
when you're ministering to children, when you're talking to people after church and they ask you a question, you guys take them to the Word. And you've got to know it. You've got to be in it. can't handle the Word of God deceitfully. It's got to be a major part of how we minister to people. But it also means that we need to be in it personally so that it can be changing us and helping us to see Jesus more clearly. You guys, we need to be in the Bible every day. Every day. You need to be in the Word of God. I don't care where it is. I don't really care how much you read. But you've got to get into the Word of God. Because you don't know when tragedy is going to strike your life. You don't know when when terrible things are going to happen to you. But if you're not in the Word daily, they will hit you so hard that it will knock you off your feet and you won't be ready for it. You've got to be prepared. You've got to allow God to minister to you to prepare you for those times. You've got to be in the Word daily so that when that coworker asks you about Jesus, you've got something to share with them. You've got something on your heart. So when that person at church calls you or after church, they ask you a question or they begin to tell you something that you know isn't right, isn't true, and you know you need to call them on it, you know you need to minister to them, you have something to give them. You have something to minister to them. You guys, if we're not in the Word, we won't be able to. We'll stammer. We'll wonder what to say. And we'll give them our opinions. And we'll give them worldly advice. It's got to be the Word of God. And it's got to be in here on a daily basis as God is constantly renewing us and refreshing us by His Word. This has become so evident to me over the last week especially. Like never before in my life has God shown me, Ryan, it's not good enough for you to be in the Word looking for message material. You need to be in my word personally. You need to allow me to minister to your heart completely independent of anything that you might ever say. And I have failed in that area. And I know that some of you are failing in that area as well. Because we have got to be in the word of God. Jeremiah said that the word of God was found and he ate it. He consumed it. And it became the joy and the rejoicing of his heart. The Word of God guides us. Psalm 119.105 The Bible says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. It guides us. Man, maybe some of you feel like you're in the dark. You don't know what to do. You don't know what decision to make. You guys, it's the Word. It'll open it up to you. It'll give you clear direction. The Word is powerful. The Bible says that His Word is a sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide the soul and the spirit. Even able to divide the joint from the marrow. You talk to a doctor. You talk to him about the blood and the bone. And how difficult it is to extract blood from the bone. The Bible, you guys, is using an illustration of the fact that God's Word is able to divide. It's able to draw a line in the sand 
in your life. The Bible says that His Word is eternal. Matthew 24, verse 35 says that heaven and earth will pass away, but My words will never pass away. The Bible says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever. The Word of God. We're not to handle it deceitfully. We're not just to handle it flippantly. It needs to be a part of who we are. Because I take a Bible everywhere I go. And, you know, that isn't the key. Taking it everywhere you go. But I encourage you. And have a Bible in your car. Have one at work. Or take the one you have everywhere you go. Make it a part of who you are. When you have opportunity, read it. Allow God to speak to you. It'll change your life. You won't be the same. Well, the last thing that Paul says here in verse 2, the fifth characteristic of ministry, is that he says it's the manifestation of truth. The manifestation of truth. Literally, to exhibit or demonstrate the truth is what this means. This means that we're not simply speaking the truth, but we are living the truth. Not just saying it. I think a lot of us, we know the truth. We know the Word. But we're not living it. Paul says it needs to be the manifestation of the truth. If you want to have real ministry, you not only need to know it, but you have to live it. This means that we're not simply speaking the Gospel, but we're living the Gospel. Our actions back up what we say, you guys. Got to manifest the truth. And then the result. The result is found there at the end of verse 2. Commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. When we handle the truth correctly, when the Word of God is a part of who we are, and we exhibit that truth personally in our lives, people know. That's what Paul is saying here. Commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. When we do that, when these characteristics are true in our life, when real ministry is happening in our life, all these characteristics, you put them into practice, all the things we've talked about, guess what happens? The result, people know. Very simple, but people know. They can tell. They can tell when it's here, when it's changed your life. They'll see it in you, and they'll want it for themselves. Well, we've seen what is real ministry. I want us to now look at the battle against real ministry. Verses 3 and 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. If the previous verses are true, Things we've just talked about. These characteristics of real ministry. If they're true, then why don't these principles always work? Because certainly there are people who are practicing these things. Certainly there are people who are doing those things that we just talked about. I want to be a person who's accomplishing those things we just talked about. 
But if we are doing those, then why aren't we seeing everybody saved? If the five truths about real ministry and the result that people notice is happening, then why aren't more people getting saved? And the answer is very simple. It's that we have an enemy. And he's battling against what we're doing. Paul calls him the God of this age. The devil. Satan. And he's blinding people. He's blinding people to who Jesus is. To the truth of God's Word. To the reality of it in your own life. And they don't see it. But that doesn't mean we don't keep doing it. Because God, you guys, removes blinders. And that's why I always pray. When I pray for unbelievers, I say, God, remove the blinders from their eyes. Help them to see who you are. But there's also a very real application for us in this. Because not only does the devil blind unbelievers, he can also blind believers to the truth of the verses that we just talked about. He can blind you to think, you know what, I'm okay. I don't need to be in the Word. I don't need to be in prayer. I don't need to be involved in ministry. I don't need to be living it out in my daily life. I'm fine right where I'm at. I believe in Jesus. I think He's in my heart. I'm on my way to heaven. And that's all I care about. Fire insurance, if you will. But you guys, let us not be blinded by the devil to think that that is a great way to exist. Our prayer ought to be, God, remove the devil's deception in our lives and help us to have a very real desire to be involved in real ministry. Guys, that's my heart for the church. That is what I want to see happening here. Is that we are involved in real ministry. I don't want to just show up here and sing a few songs and teach a Bible study and hope I sounded good. I'm tired of hoping I sound good. Honestly. I really am. I don't care about it anymore. People need to be ministered to. That's what I want. The devil is battling against it, you guys. It's a battle that we will face until we go home to be with the Lord. And we've got to fight against it. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us to put on our armor and battle against the schemes of the devil. Ask God to remove any blinders that are on your eyes this morning. Search my heart, God. Show me. If there's anything that I'm doing that's hindering your work, that's hindering you from doing real ministry, if there's any of those characteristics that we talked about that aren't a part of your life, ask God to make them a part of your life. Begin to be disciplined to make them a part of your life. Well, lastly, how we move forward in real ministry. Verses 5 and 6. Obviously, we've been talking about real ministry and its characteristics. We've seen how the devil desires to keep us from accomplishing that real ministry. And now I want to see how we can implement 
these truths about real ministry into our life. How we can move forward in real ministry. Because you guys, that is really what matters, right? Is that we take these things and we move forward with them. And we do this by keeping the proper focus. Here in verses 5 and 6, we're going to see where the focus shouldn't be and where the focus should be. Very simple. Where the focus shouldn't be and where the focus should be. Because I think very often, I know in my life, and I've talked about it this morning, and I'm sure it's true of your life as well, that very often our focus is on the wrong things. We get caught up in things. We get caught up in details. We get caught up in work. We get caught up in running our kids from here to there to everywhere. We get caught up in things that we're doing to our homes, fixing up our houses, our hobbies. We get caught up in the wrong things. And pretty soon, that's what the focus of our life is. It's what we talk about. It's what comes out of our heart. And it shouldn't be that way. Paul says where our focus shouldn't be in verse 5. Look at it. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. First of all, where the focus shouldn't be, Paul says we don't preach ourselves. In real ministry, we are not the focus. We're simply the instruments by which God touches lives. And you guys, that frees me up. Because I say, hey, it's not about me. I'm just the scalpel in His hand. And when you go to a surgeon and you have surgery, you don't say, man, that was an amazing scalpel that you used on me today. No, it was the surgeon's knowledge and his ability. You know, when, when you go to a mechanic, you don't grab his wrench and go, man, this wrench. Wow. Craftsman. Lifetime guarantee here, baby. It is about that or a carpenter and his hammer. It's not about that. Those are just tools. Those guys could take, take cheap instruments and do the work if they needed to because they're good at what they do. And you guys, God can take the foolish things of this world and He can use us as His instruments in His hand. But the focus should never be on us. It's not about us. We need to lead people past ourselves into the arms of Christ. And it frees me up, you guys, and it should free you up. You don't need to be super knowledgeable. You don't need to be super outgoing. You don't need to be talented. You just need to be available for God to use you to minister to people in a very real way. We're bond servants for Jesus' sake, Paul says. Then he tells us where the focus should be. Verse 6. Where our focus needs to be is on Jesus. Talks about the Lord here, that our focus ought to be on Him. And it's really for two reasons that our focus should be on Him. First of all, because He's in control. Look at the beginning of verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light 
to shine out of darkness. He's the source of everything. He's in control of everything. And He always needs to be the focus of our ministry to others. Because He's the one that's going to be doing it. He's the one that commanded light to shine out of darkness. He's the one that can open people's eyes. He's the source of everything. And if we want to minister to people in a real way, our focus better not be on a program. Our focus better not be on what we say. Our focus shouldn't be on how we sound. Our focus better be on Jesus. Because He alone can minister to people. He's powerful. He's in control. And the second reason that our focus needs to be on Jesus is because He alone, you guys, He alone can restore lives. We can't restore lives. We can't bring change. But He can. Look what Paul says at the end of verse 6. Who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He alone can restore lives. He alone can shine His light into someone's heart and open their eyes to the knowledge of Jesus. Only He can do that. We're powerless to do that. Just like a scalpel in and of itself is powerless to perform surgery. It's just laying there on the table until the surgeon comes and picks it up and does his work. You guys, we're just laying there. We're powerless. But God can pick us up and He can perform surgery on people's hearts. If you want to be used, He'll use you. But it's got to be about Him. He's got to be the focus. Only Jesus can forgive people, can restore people, can change people's lives. That's real ministry, you guys. And I hope that that what I said this morning came across the way I wanted it to come across, not condemningly, but showing you where my heart's at. As your pastor, showing you what God is showing me. And it's awesome when the verses that we're in as a church are exactly where I'm at and exactly where I think we need to be at. This wasn't some special message. This was the next passage of Scripture that we were going to be studying together as we make our way through Second Corinthians. It's just awesome how God does that. I love you guys, and I hope you have a great week. May you be blessed. Let's, let's stand and pray together.